Thank you for listening to CFB Talks Digital Assets. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. It is not intended, nor should it be considered an invitation or inducement to buy or sell any of the underlying instruments cited, including, but not limited to, crypto assets, financial instruments, or any instruments that reference any index provided by CF Benchmarks Limited. This recording is not intended to persuade or incite you to buy or sell a security or securities noted within. Any commentary, interviews, and discussions are opinions only and should not be considered a personalized recommendation. Please contact your financial advisor or professional before making any investment decision. Some of the underlying instruments cited within this recording may be restricted to certain customer categories in certain jurisdictions. Okay, but you're going to buy... Dog, what is it? Whiff? Dog whiff or something? You know, it's in an article. It's in a Bloomberg online article. It's the latest um, dog meme coin. It's a bit of a joke. It's a bit of a, you know, slight, another, another bonkers uh, crypto episode. But what does this, you know, on a more serious note, are we getting to the stage where, you know, crazy things are happening? Are we actually seeing right. some overheating already? Well, I don't think it'd be the first time that... <laughs> Although this market's been in this position where you start seeing these, you know, me or even like joke coins start to uh, permeate through and garner a lot of attention. And surely it's probably indicative of the overall, you know, optimism that you're seeing in digital assets again, which is kind of an overarching theme of our quarterly attribution reports that we're going to be talking about here in this episode. You're listening to CFB Talks Digital Assets, the home of informed conversation about crypto for institutions building the future of finance, presented by CF Benchmarks. I'm Ken O'Delegate, Head of Content, and I'm joined by Gabe Selby, our Lead Research Analyst. Hi there, Gabe. Hey, Ken. As always, great to be with you. A lot of exciting stuff to dive into um, for this episode. We've had some pretty... uh, Pretty positive stuff happening in the crypto market, so happy to jump right in. Absolutely. Um, Pretty amazing times going on right now. And uh, yes, so this is a timely time to actually do our quarterly attribution report edition, December 2023. What are the quarterly attribution reports? Well, um, obviously they're every three months or so. Attribution relates to the fact that we release these uh, QARs that uh, enable our clients and any other interested readers to delineate market performance, crypto market performance, utilizing a set of tools that we have at our disposal. These are um, our major portfolio indices, as well as our unique digital asset taxonomy, the um, CF digital asset classification structure, essentially a schema for enabling investors and other market participants to get really accurate, precise ideas about what is driving the markets from one quarter to the next. So in this episode, we're going to have a quick market recap. We're going to look at how the market has performed, any major standouts on the upside and the downside. And then we're going to dive into some major takeaways that can sustain us um, in the weeks ahead as we enter into the next quarter. So Gabe, let's, uh, let's get things underway. What are the major, major, big uh, sort of like takeaways or banner things that you might want to point out at the top of uh, this uh, discussion? Yeah, thanks, Ken. Well, these are kind of the exciting times that, you know, we often see in crypto markets whenever we start to 
get more of a bullish price action permeating through from the top to the bottom. So it's been a pretty interesting quarter to dive into, to analyze. And I think given uh, this enthusiasm surrounding possible spot Bitcoin ETF here in the U.S. for early next year, we've seen a lot of institutional interest kind of grow substantially over the recent months. So I like to look at, you know, the open interests on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. That's where you, you'll find the Bitcoin and Ether futures traded. Um, if you look at that metric, that's grown um, approximately like 76 percent for Bitcoin and 40 percent for Ether. So both of those are really on the uptrend and Bitcoin actually made a new all time high in open interest this last quarter. So, you know, there's there's been a, a lot of enthusiasm there. It seems to be that the spot spot products that are in the pipeline for the SEC to approve has had a, a pretty significant impact here. And uh, I think, you know, rightfully so, you know, ETFs are just, you know, the wrapper of choice of the 21st century, it seems like so far, they've really kind of taken uh, such a significant share from the old uh, mutual fund structure um, because of it, their low cost and tax advantages. So they've exploded in popularity since uh, over the past few decades. Now it seems like the, I think the total and assets here in the U.S. in ETFs has exceeded $7 trillion this year. So it's wow. pretty sizable money. It's because you now mainstream investors, uh, retail investors really like the ETF structure to gain these, you know, these exposures across different various asset classes. And as we know for crypto in the U.S., we have not had an approved exchange traded product um, that just old spot Bitcoin. So I think this is this could be a, a significant turning point for the industry and in in its institutional adoption. And also just given the, the names of the firms that are all applying, it kind of gives a bit of a stamp of approval, right? So yeah, for, for the asset class in itself. So I think, you know, all this recent, recent data is just point to investor optimism. And that's why we're seeing such kind of bullish or positive price action across the board. Yeah. I mean, there is all of that and um, it's absolutely correct. And there's no doubt that that is a, a major driver of uh, the impetus we've seen over the last, I want to say several months now, but it's almost like there's a little bit of a dilemma here because um, we're also, you know, there's a, there's a bigger world out there apart from crypto. And uh, we're talking macro, macro wise, to a large extent, there is this idea that this, you know, this emerging idea of a soft landing that is actually, well, arguably becoming manifest is also playing a part. And looking at one of our broadest measures of the crypto market, the CF broad cap indexed, um, 43% gain between the two rebalancing periods, subject to the current report, as well as a, a gain for the, uh, you know, obviously for the uh, OG, the sort of main crypto asset, Bitcoin itself, 29%, more than respectable gain. Are we, how much of, how much of these sort of like, these sorts of uplifts can you attribute to the macro uh, sort of picture um, and how much could you or should you attribute to, you know, internal market optimism about the these ETFs as, as you've uh, sort of just explained? Well, you know, the macro picture certainly doesn't hurt. And there we've seen um, a lot of progress. And like what you're saying with the soft landing, the question is, you know, is the soft landing still intact? Is it becoming more or less probable that we get a soft landing or are we heading towards a, maybe even a no landing type scenario where inflation kind of just stays steadily high and we don't really have an, a recession or any sort of, you know, cyclical end or cyclical beginning. Um, we just kind of keep the status quo. 
Um, that's going to be, uh, well, that re remains to kind of be seen. But what we do know is that, you know, inflation just kind of continues to precipitate lower and lower. This has had a pretty significant impact on interest rate expectations for the future, which is something that I, I feel like is super important to watch. And, you know, most recently, and this is kind of outside of our attribution window of September 2nd to December 1st, but we had a FOMC meeting, a Federal Reserve meeting, where they um, updated their dot plots for for the future. And um, several men, or members there were uh, indicating that their willingness to start cutting rates in 2024. So the market's starting to price that in. Some things to kind of keep in mind when you're looking for the soft landing to hold is, you know, how how is the risky assets performing? You know, equities seem to be pretty resilient. Um, digital assets are doing pretty well. Those have historically led other risky assets. Um, if you look on the credit side, spreads for speculative grade, you know, high yield, or maybe other asset-backed securities, uh, those indices have had, uh, you know, pretty tight credit spreads. Nothing really showing up on the credit side to show uh, any material weakening in the macro environment. So how much did that actually help um, digital assets. Well, you know, we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the episode where we see we've seen uh, digital assets kind of show this divergent strength, or um, that's, you know, a term that Mike McGlone, our, our former podcast guest, yeah. like to use. So I, I really seem like to be, seem to be our, our next podcast guest or, you know, a future podcast guest again, uh, of course. No yeah, doubt. hopefully. <laughs> uh, but shout out to him. He's done a lot of work talking about this, and he's obviously been wanting to see this type of performance. So we can talk about that a little bit more later, but. One thing that I just want to bring up, up front here is that, you know, if you look at the performance of our indices, it's been pretty broad. So um, you said the, you know, our floating broad cap index, which is kind of the most institutional broadest measure of uh, digital assets for that's institutionally investable, performed pretty well. It rose about 43% over the last QAR period. So that's a significant spread over equities or you know, other kind of peer group risky asset asset classes. So it, you've definitely seen kind of like a broader shift, you know, before we were seeing Bitcoin, maybe Ether, these two kind of mega yeah. cap tokens dominating a lot of the positive performance. But now it's starting to permeate through to the smaller cap tables. So that's important to see. It's it's very constructive, in my opinion. It's typically what you got kind of get when you when you come out of, you know, troughs in traditional markets like in equities you start to see you know maybe some large cap quality lead and then the you know more speculative smaller cap less fundamentally yeah. sound companies start to follow so bringing up the tide for all boats that's kind of what we've been seeing in this past quarter yeah so so just just real quick on that on that specific point okay the idea is that um as the positive sentiment or positive performance kind of fans out into the you know into the both sides of the tail, if you like, um, of the market, you know, including the sort of lower capitalized um, assets, that is an indication of increasing confidence um, broadly for the for the crypto market. That's simply what you're saying, right? Yeah, exactly. So perhaps, like, maybe we can jump into some of the some themes here that we're seeing in the nitty gritty of our of our indices. So I'll give a quick kind of high level overview of how Please. the indices performed overall. Yeah. So which ones were the leaders, right? Um, we, we already gave the listeners a tip on, you know, what the overall market did as measured by a free floating uh, broad cap index. Uh, that was around 43%. So 
the CF Web3 smart contract platforms index was the, the standout here in the quarter. It rose 73%. Um, second place, we saw the CF blockchain infrastructure index. It rose 64%. Um, both of these were, I would say, significantly outperforming the broader market. However, we did see more weakness, unfortunately, in the digital culture space. So our CF digital culture composite index rose just 28%. I mean, that's a pretty good return, right? <laughs> so, um, but I think the context here is a little, a little, um, it's, it's kind of key because if you look at what, who was, uh, the major laggard in the peer group last quarter, it was also the digital culture index. So, you know, if you were exposed to that segment of, uh, the digital asset universe, um, you've seen for the second straight quarter, kind of a, a relative disappointing showing despite, you know, 28% being, you know, a pretty sizable return. Uh, over a three months period. So yeah, that's kind of how we've kind of observed these indices in the past quarter. And uh, I think the important thing here is that we're starting to see more of an uptick in the altcoins and uh, in these other small, smaller cap names. Um, so those, those ships are starting to rise as well. Can you zero in on any specific, you know, protocol or maybe any specific set of protocols within the culture or any specific movement? We one can attribute or handle, you know, the bulk of the underperformance or the drag, I should say, really, for this uh, segment. Because you say, you know, it did rise, but it just basically underperformed. Clearly, we're we're, prob we're probably looking at something specific within that segment or within that um, index specifically or portfolio index that actually is um, causing the sort of um, backwards pull um, as opposed to the sort of forward momentum we're seeing for the overall market. Is there anything specific you can point to there? There wasn't anything specific that was pulling the the headline index in digital culture lower. Most of those tokens in in the category were just not very not you know providing stellar price returns over the quarter. In fact, the majority of the you know the performance of that index was being attributed towards uh, tokens that support digital culture. So you know mm. you're okay. Like, yeah. So. It wasn't even in the headline index. The only token that had kind of a positive impact that was in the culture segment was Decentraland's Mana. Uh, um, yeah, that's of course a, a play-to-earn type protocol, and Mana is is kind of the uh, utility token that you use to you know yeah. purchase and play stuff in, in that uh, ecosystem, and that that's where that 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 one token kind of outshined the rest of its category peers in the last stretch. And what I like to show in the attribution report is we did a chart showing the whale activity. When FTX collapsed last November, um, a lot of whales started selling mana in the market. So what we've seen is, you know, kind of a flush out of that and a slow accumulation uh, to the upside for whale activity. Now, what is a whale for, for listeners? We typically define it as any wallet that holds over 1% or at least 1% of the total circulating supply. So as we've seen kind of this accumulation of bigger investors in, in the MANA token uh, supply uh, ecosystem, we, we've seen uh, MANA's price kind of recovery and we've seen even more accumulation in the past quarter according to this chart. So we think that, you know, this, this kind of steady buying pressure um, hopefully signals, you know, maybe a trough for uh, that that protocol sure. and that was really the one standout that we saw in that segment so that's 
important to kind of point out. Sure, and and I don't want to labour, you know, the, the, you know, get stuck on one um, uh, segment too much or one uh, index, one portfolio index. But um, I think there's a there's a narrative circulating, and it's uh, it's just an easy one to latch onto, and that's how you know narratives generally tend to circulate. That clearly the NFT space, if you like, you know, in terms of like readily identifiable contributions to the uh, culture aspect of the um, blockchain economy is still really suffering quite a bit. Pretty much every week we get a sort of an update that shows that, um, you know, NFTs are so 2022 or whatever it was, right? How much of a drag is that actually, if any, is that actually um, sort of perpetrating through the digital culture index and obviously showing up in terms of performance drag? Yeah, no, I think that's certainly part of it. So... I mean, if the broader ecosystem of NFTs and the stuff that we talk that you were just talking about isn't really recovering, then it would be kind of interesting to see, you know, digital culture, uh, you know, performing better. So everything's kind of corroborating the fundamentals that you're seeing with the NFT market being kind of more in the doldrums, and this kind of runs counter to what you're seeing in the DeFi space or decentralized finance, which is something that we like to we like to highlight in the quarterly attribution report. That's a segment that's seen, I would say, a sizable recovery over the last quarter. So, of course, you know, decentralized finance for listeners that aren't familiar with it, you know, is, is a is a form of trying to recreate these traditional financial services using cryptocurrency technologies, blockchains, decentralized applications. And, you know, after FTX, this, this area of the market really struggled. So one thing that we like to look at is the total value locked in DeFi protocols. And we've seen that kind of, you know, get flushed out, it, it, it bottomed, and now it's recently hit a 13 month high. And I think, you know, a lot of this recovery has been uh, seen in these two kind of staple blockchains. So the Ethereum blockchain, the Solana blockchain, which are two key blockchains, for facilitating DeFi transactions and providing these products. So we highlighted how, how much that's kind of uh, recovered over the past three months. I like to look at uh, Z scores. So over the past three months, we've, we've clocked in, you know, two standard deviation moves to the upside on total value locked. And as we also highlighted is that, you know, Solana in itself, which was our leading performer in the broader universe, yeah. uh, had significant uh you know re recovery in tvl as well so that's kind of all corroborating itself as as being you know kind of a uh upward momentum leap in the DeFi space yeah let's um you mentioned solana let's um just take that opportunity to drill down a little bit on solana in the culture attribution report of the amazingly engaging report all the way through there's actually a page on solana with a headline solana leads cryptos in year-end santa rally and um, second paragraph on that page is uh, Solana led the pack rising over 208%. That's for the quarter. That's amazing, right? <laughs> so what, what was going on there? So certainly it was closely affiliated with um, FTX Alameda. They seem to be um, really involved with the foundation. And so when that collapse happened, uh, a lot of selling pressure happened in the market for Solana. Um, we've since seen kind of a reversal of that and a lot of enthusiasms coming back into that, that protocol. Um, it did lead the pack. You know, we like to look at the broader market through our broad cap series and 
just like you know solana you had other tokens that posted these triple digit quarterly gains so you had you had render uh, rndr chainlink link you have immutable x imx and you had avalanches avax but yeah solana was leading the pack if we look at the the narrative side before we jump into the fundamental side a lot of it's been centered on the etf frenzy because yeah. uh, a significant thing that happened in the past three months is that we had blackrock you know one of our uh clients who uses our reference rates file for a spot ether etf to follow up their spot bitcoin etf application so that's now been put in the queue and i think a lot of the in investor community is starting to speculate okay well, if Ether's going to get thrown in there, you know, maybe one day Solana will be too as well. So that's more of like a narrative push on the price action. But fundamentally speaking, you're also seeing this develop on uh, on-chain. So just like we were talking about the total value lock metrics of, you know, the DeFi space, if you compare Solana's TVL versus Ethereum's TVL, and you compare their performance for the past quarter, it's almost proportionately ran in sync. So Solana saw, you know, close to like 150% increase in total value locked, which, you know, really kind of outperformed Ethereum, both on the price and on the fundamental side. So we can put a chart up there for, for the folks that are watching, yeah. you know. It's going to be like, it's going to be like this <laughs> for the quarter. Be sure to check out the report, but that's kind of yeah. what we're seeing, you know, yeah. in the Solana narratives. Perfect. Perfect. And, and, you know, just um on that, a bit of a bookend for that uh, topic, Um, obviously, you know, we're in a sort of uh, exciting time and, uh, you know, there's lots of speculation in the market, not just on price. There's also speculation about, you know, what's going to happen in terms of investment products and, of course, the impact that can have on price. And, and Solana is a part of that. But, um, you know, a cautionary aspect, if you like, is that um, this is not set in stone, but you will not necessarily, you know, the likelihood of you seeing an ETF application being filed even is much lower for uh, an asset class that does not have a regulated futures market trading. So of course, we know that those spot, spot Bitcoin and spot Ether ETF applications are you know, coming about after many years of trading on the CME, uh, the CME Ether futures, and of course, the CME Bitcoin futures. Um, there, although we do have a Solana price, I believe, Gabe, CME CF uh, our Solana reference rate, and of course, a a real-time index, uh, the CME marketplace has not yet launched a futures contract or an options contract um, based on that reference rate. So we're still one, we're getting ahead of ourselves, or maybe the market is getting ahead of itself in sort of thinking that um, Solana is the imminent next big thing in terms of the ETF application. Sorry, yeah, ETF application and the sort of effects that we'll have. Do, do you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think it's just important to kind of, yeah, bring that back up about the the futures markets. And so you've seen a battle tested, you know, derivatives, regulated futures, standardized futures market uh, over the past, you know, five, uh, I think they launched when, 2018 or 2017? Yeah. Uh, late, late, I think it was December, literally December 2017. So yeah, pretty much 2017. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're we're coming up to six years. Of, <laughs> yeah. And uh, for, for Bitcoin. Solana doesn't have that yet. And that's yeah. a, a major pool of liquidity. We talked about the the liquidity complex that these derivatives, these regulated futures, the options uh, kind of provide with market makers uh, being able to execute on these things to hedge 
Xbox. On, on our reference, with our reference race, click at the center of that. Top. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's re remains to be seen. But, you know, markets are always going to be forward-looking. I think yeah. that's the reason why, amongst other confluence of factors, you're seeing uh, Solana kind of lead the charge here. So, and I think a lot of it could be you know, attributed to just a, a really healthy rebound from the FTX sell-off. Yeah. Um, along with the recovery in the fundamental activity on the chain, and as well as these bullish narratives that you're getting through just the media, through through markets trying to price in any you know potential of, of a future spot ETF for something like Solana. Again, all those things that you just said are 100% right, and so we could be a ways away. Um, certainly, you know, let's just try and see if we can get the Bitcoin one approved <laughs> yeah. and then, you know, let's try for ether, yeah. you know, anything <laughs> ether, you still are running into some, a lot, a lot more yeah. regulatory headwinds. So we're just kind of going to have to wait and see on that one. I would agree. Yeah. yeah but nevertheless, a healthy and, um, you know, apparently justified rebound, um, maybe a surprising escape as well to an extent. Gabe, I wanted to talk about altcoins before we move on to the next section. I think one of the observations that you sort of uh, had, you know, overarching observations within this report is that altcoins, um, you know, had, uh, well, did particularly well. And I'm, and I'm, I'm kind of interested in the altcoin sort of piece, mostly because generally, at least for the last year, altcoins have served to sort of a function as a bit of a bit of a canary in the coal mine. I think you're probably familiar with that phrase. And, um, so when altcoins rally, it's not necessarily always good news, in other words. It's sort of like, you know, presages either the beginning of a particularly frothy period or it's sort of like presages the sort of top of a um, positive period. That's the sort of observation that I've had over the last year or so. But I think that your um, idea about the altcoin rally in, the, in this quarter is that it's something different. Can you give us a bit of a, bit of a takeaway on that, maybe? I think in this, in this context, we're seeing more of a spillover from those two mega cap tokens that are grabbing a lot of the mainstream institutional focus into the other protocols. And overall, that should be viewed more constructively than perhaps signaling, you know, some sort of irrational over exuberance in digital assets. Um, I think altcoins in large, largely were kind of left behind earlier in the year. Um, we've seen Bitcoin dominance continue to trend higher. That's that's good gauge to just kind of get you a feel of, you know, kind of the overall sentiment in the market. Sometimes when Bitcoin dominance rises, it's typically because of a risk-off period, and you see that the altcoins get sold off, you know, at a greater scale relative to a uh, more established, larger cap Bitcoin. So we're still seeing that kind of dynamic with Bitcoin dominance trending upwards. But I think, you know, it, it's definitely more constructive to see these smaller cap altcoins starting to participate in the rally as we come towards year end, as we start to get, you know, into this, what if we get, you know, a spot product approved here in the US, which is again, largest capital market in the world. So it's pretty significant. And for the first time to have these types of products available for customers to give them the option to own cryptocurrencies in other uh, mediums of exchange outside of, you know, the traditional digital wallets, either cold or hot. So again, we're in this period where it could be pretty pivotal in the future for the institutional adoption trend here in tw early 2024. And it's just, I think, a healthy rally for smaller cap altcoins. 
Yeah, and you know, let's um, let's uh, dig a little bit deeper into that broader market. Um, uh, you know, some broader market takeaways. Uh, uh, Gabe. Another thing that stands out from reading your course attribution report is um, apparently some declining volatility. It looks to be across the board. Now, of course, when I when we hear the phrase declining volatility, we think of back to the summer, those summer doldrums of maybe price as well as um, volatility. They may have been related to, you know, uh, activity in the market that it was seasonal, but a, a lot of those volatility measures are actually at all-time lows. So if you're saying now that we're seeing declining volatility, from what sort of, um, from what basis are you actually saying that? Was there an uplift and, and now there's a, a sort of further decline or another sort of a, a retrograde step? Or, or, or what, are, what are we actually saying here? Yeah, it's an interesting thing to kind of highlight in, a lot of folks have been kind of pointing to it because critics of cryptocurrencies often point to the extreme volatility as a red <laughs> yeah. flag yeah. for the asset class. And that's, yeah. you know, understandably so. So what we can do is we can take our floating broad cap index, um, which again, kind of gives you the best institutional grade investable universe of the digital asset space. And we can study the 360 day volatility of it. And, you know, let's just look at it and let's compare it to something like stocks. In this case, we, in the attribution report, we compared it to the NASDAQ 100 index, which is a very tech centric kind of high flying index. And uh, despite, you know, some his higher historical swings uh, relative to stocks, the CF broad cap index, again, just hit a multi-year low for its 360 day uh, volatility. Um, so it's one thing to look at the volatility of the market and do a judgment call on that. But what we also want to do is see if we're getting compensated for the additional risk. And what we also did was just kind of look at the sharp ratio, which is a common measure of risk adjusted returns. And we do that, the data does say yes. Our, our uh, floating broad cap index has kind of consistently offered uh, better risk adjusted performance than the NASDAQ 100 index, which you know over that period was I would say, you know, one of the top performing equity market indexes out there. So what you have to do as an investor is maybe not so much uh, fully discriminate against risky assets because of their volatility, but take a more nuanced approach, try to risk adjust those returns, see if you're getting compensated for it, and then size your position and your portfolio accordingly. So we've always used this, this you know, one to two, three percent rule for allocating the digital assets if you're new to the space. Um, this is a percentage that, you know, historically speaking, has not uh, significantly changed the, the risk profile of a diversified, you know, global portfolio that's invested in multi-assets. So this is something that, you know, we're just trying to highlight again so people can understand. Yes, cryptocurrencies have had historically high volatility. It's continuing to decline as the asset class continues to mature. Um, but also, um, if you've been a strategic investor in the space, you've been fairly compensated for that additional volatility. Mm. And we've got on to market statistics, um, Gabe. So we might as well at this uh, point talk about correlations. Um, you might you might want to mention intra-market as, as well as a cross-asset sort of picture. Um, I think clearly the cross-asset picture is of real interest to a lot of people because the last time we did one of these attribution report editions of the podcast, one of your main observations, I believe, was that um, 
the cross-asset correlation between crypto and perhaps with Bitcoin in particular and, uh, you know, the broader equity asset class was actually beginning to so, show signs of um, decorrelating again. So can you kind of bring us up to date on the correlation picture? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a very important part of portfolio construction is to kind of understand all the pieces that you have to work with. And so looking for assets that can provide lower correlations, mainly to risky assets such as stocks, um, is pretty advantageous for investors. Um, and during the recent bull and bear runs, we've seen crypto prices uh, kind of trade in lockstep to U.S. equities like the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ 100 indices. However, we, we are starting to see some decoupling, and a lot of it has to do with these fundamental and bullish constructive narratives that you're, you're getting in the in the space right now. So um, again, divergence is going to bode well for investors if we continue to see this decoupling effect because um, it gives you the diversification benefits, which is, you know, as uh, as Harry Markowitz would like to say, it's the only free lunch is is or diversification. So uh, reduced synchronization across the space with these assets is, is, is very key. I think the, the, the factors enabling this is kind of this continued mature maturing dynamic that you're getting into dual assets as we come closer to maybe getting a spot bitcoin etf approval you're kind of getting you know more institutional more institutional interest in there more institutional players in there it's going to trade i think a little uh it's going to go back to maybe its long-term historical correlation uh levels which is much lower than what we saw in 2021 in the bull run and in 2022 during the bear run. So uh, I think a lot of those factors that kept crypto in lockstep with traditional risky assets was in largely due to the overall macro environment. You know, in 2021, or in 2020, you could say after COVID through 2021, um, you've had a lot of liquidity uh, being pumped into the financial system. You have rates very low, right? So it was kind of creating this indiscriminate bull market rally, which was a, a pretty strong tailwind for everything uh, in the risky asset spectrum. And then in at the end of 2021, when the Fed, I think it was in a November meeting, declared that inflation was no longer going to be transitory. And shortly after they started increasing interest rates, um, you kind of had a, a, a complete inverse of this dynamic of massive liquidity, easy financial conditions. So you had a, kind of a, a complete reversal of that, which pulled a lot of the, you know, the punch bowl out of the party. And that's why you saw a kind of a, a non-discriminatory bear market. So you had equities selling off, you had digital assets selling off, and that's kept these correlations tight. As we came into the last year, we've seen more of these idiosyncratic stories uh, take take fold, along with the you know, possible approval of these spot uh, yeah. ETFs. So that's, I think, the major factor here that's contributing to the kind of this decoupling. Um, and it's kind of giving us back into a space where we will see maybe... Uh, uh, digital assets kind of trade in a relationship that's closer to the long-term average, which is a very low, um, you know, like a 0.2 to zero range on the correlation to traditional risky assets like equities. Yeah, that that brings us back to Bitcoin. I mean, uh, as you've as you've mentioned, uh, Gabe, Bitcoin was not this uh, in, during the the most recent uh, course and attribution report period. The you know shining standout there was in prior for you know prior reports for good reasons because you know as you said you know mark all boats were lifted by you know the current uh, dynamics of 
you know, both um, uh, macroeconomic and also intra-market uh, related to the spot Bitcoin ETF. Pure optimism, right? But Bitcoin still did actually perform very, very well. Um, so there's an element that, um, you know, in line with that decoupling from broader markets, including equ particularly equities, Bitcoin is still uh, sort of like showing some sort of like divergent uh, strength uh, that maybe we can sort of like have an eye to uh, continuing for the for the for the medium term or for the future. Certainly, one to watch, right? Yeah, and what we what we did here in this uh, report is uh, we took the S and P high beta equity U.S. equity index, and we also took a risk off asset class like the treasury market. Right. And we observed over the last three months, the high beta portion of the U.S. equity market underperformed uh, the safest part of, you know, the fixed income market. Categorically speaking, you could say that, you know, this was kind of a broadly a risk off type dynamic that you saw in the markets. So uh, adding to that decoupling effect, we saw digital assets completely, you know, outperform both the traditional asset classes uh, on the fixed income side and on the equity side. So in a period where you would say, okay, we saw risk off uh, flavors through the price action, bonds outperforming high beta, you would expect if, yeah. if, if the correlations remain tight, yes. the digital assets would have done even worse than high beta segment yeah. of the market. However, yeah. that was not the case. And so that it's something to check out in our report. It's an interesting thing to just kind of keep in mind that, you know, compare these two things and see how the, the price action is right now it's showing a lot of divergent strength absolutely and i, I love that um sort of uh experimental you know test of underlying market strength talking about the traditional uh financial market listed financial market relative to uh crypto um because it really is uh, telling us a bit of a story so gabe um as we wrap things up what would be the main takeaway that you would like to you know imprint on uh readers and uh in everyone else's minds. We're entering this very pivotal moment for the industry. What we might see early in 2024 could be just, you know, the first major steps and many for for the space to kind of get uh, more institutional traction and more adoption in the future. And so what this quarter was telling us was a bit of kind of like the cues or the tea leaves, right, of how this as a class might look like if we if we continue to go on this path of becoming more of a of a widely accepted asset class because it's still an early asset class you know it's still emerging you know bitcoin and uh, it's and its market cap it's still under a trillion dollars and so it's 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 much smaller you know than the gold market which is kind of what it gets compared to if you look at ether and the ethereum blockchain you know the decentralized app ecosystem um, is still in its early days. Uh, developers are working hard to try and get that scaled up so you can have a lot more real world use cases. So um, one of the main takeaways that I would say is, you know, we're coming to a very critical period here in the start of the new year. And I would say that's A and B, it's still early days. So yeah, we're, we're not like in the ninth inning and we're, we're just kind of getting started here. Absolutely. Okay, Gabe, thank you very much indeed for that um, uh, amazing overview of uh, an amazing uh, quarter. It's kind of like not a bad way to wrap up uh, 2023 after a slightly less fortunate way that we wrapped up 2022 a little more th a year later. We are looking at a much better prospect for the, uh, for the year ahead. 
for those of you who haven't um, read the attribution report yet, of course, you can find it at cfbenchmarks.com. Uh, find the quarterly attribution reports um, tab and uh, read it online or download it to a PDF. Of course, we do have our other content uh, released regularly on tfbenchmarks.com, the market recap and the newsletters. And additionally, of course, if you're interested in further podcasts, you can find all the episodes on Spotify and Apple and other major platforms. Um, with all that, thanks you very much for listening and viewing, and we'll see you again soon for another episode of CFB Talks Digital Assets.